The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is Green and Gold History. 50 plus years of stories, championships, and colorful characters. This is Ace Baseball. This is Green and Gold History. It's now time for some Green and Gold History with our A's historian, Dade Feldman. Feldy, it's been a while. How are you? Well, I've been locked inside like the rest of everybody else and uh, just trying to keep sane. So basically, you've had ample time to come up with this new top 10 list. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> had a lot of time. And what we thought we'd do for this top 10 list is kind of the, uh, a variation of one-hit wonders, but in a baseball sense, one-season wonders. Guys who in, in their only season, in the green and gold, have the greatest impact. So guys who can only play for one year. And also, we didn't include, like, mid-season trades. Um, these are guys who are pretty much with the team the entire season. Um, and again, their only season. So a guy like Don Baylor, who played in 1976 and had a tremendous season for the A's, but he came back in 1988. So he does not qualify as a one season wonder. So does that mean the big hurt can't be on the list? Exactly. The big hurt, not on the list, an unbelievable 2006, an MVP quality season, but he did come back and finish his career with the A's in 2008. So he is not qualified. Wow. I thought, cause he was, he was like one of the first guys I thought about. So this is, this is legit. You only got one shot at being an A in one season, one shot, one season. And not again, because we're not including guys like Ray Durham and Willie McGee who were, you know, late season acquisitions. These are guys who were part of the club who were brought in to be full season players with the team. All righty. Honorable mention. So a little different today. Uh, we do have some honorable mentions, but we have one season wonders and we also have one season blunders. <laughs> All right. Guys who the A's brought in thinking they were going to be huge contributors and it did not work out at all. Um, and let me just throw a few names at you. Uh, going to the early 90s, Eric Shaw was brought in to be part of the A's pitching rotation. Did not work at all. Uh, this man was brought in to be the A's closer, Arthur Rhodes. Not good. Uh, probably one of the most disappointing A's, Matt Holliday. Mm. Brett Laurie. David DeJesus. And then my vote for the two worst, I think, as far as one season blunder, uh, Jim Johnson. Yep. I mean, this guy was coming off a 50-save season and couldn't get anybody out. And probably just because of the monetary value and what they expected out of him, uh, and they got nothing, and that was Ben Sheets in 2010. Yeah, Ben Sheets. Like, they went down and watched him throw a bullpen. Then they gave him, like, $10 million, and the stuff wasn't there. Then he has Tommy John. You mentioned Jim Johnson. That's like another great example, like what we saw with Blake Trinan. Here you got a guy who's all world, and he's doing it in a band box in Baltimore, and then he comes here, and as you said, he got lit up like a Christmas tree. It's crazy how year to year you could be great, and then you're just your BP. 
you are, especially with closers and, and relievers. And you'll see also on our actual list will be somebody on there that the A's uh, got rid of just in time because they, they could almost sense what was going to happen. Um, it, it was interesting with Jim Johnson because even in his 50-save season with the Orioles, this was a guy who didn't strike out a lot of hitters. Didn't, his velocity wasn't his thing. It was about throwing a heavy ball and a sinker. And all of a sudden, that ball just doesn't get the same amount of sink that he's been getting because he doesn't have the velocity. He's going to get hit. And that's what happened with his year with the A's. And then it snowballs, right? Just every time he took the mound, the fans were all over him, and there was this sense of dread when he pitched. And it was just, it was so bad. And it's sort of what happened with Arthur Rhodes as well. Arthur Rhodes was never a closer. You know, coming up with the Orioles, he was a middle reliever, sometimes starter. And the A's, after getting rid of Keith Folk, they needed a, a closer, and they thought Arthur Rhodes could fill that bill. And it, it just it never worked out. So do you have any more honorable mentions or do you want to get straight to the top 10? Uh, just quickly, some honorable mentions. I think some guys who actually were good uh, for the A's in their one season, but um, it was just one season. Guys like Rich Hill, uh, Tyler Clippard, Hideki Matsui had, had a decent season. Uh, Nick Punto had a decent season. Uh, Damian Miller, and then uh, a couple big names, historic names in A's history, Dick Allen finished his career with the A's, and Mike Piazza. You know, you look back at Mike Piazza's year with the Athletics in 2007, it actually was okay. Now, he missed a huge chunk with the shoulder injury, and that actually gave birth to the, the legend that is Jack Cust, because he came up and replaced him on the roster. But Piazza, when he was healthy and when he played as a DH, he was actually very effective. Um, you know, he finished his career with the A's, but Mike Piazza was, was almost made this list. The Hall of Famer. All right. Top 10 one-year wonders for the Oakland Athletics, number 10. Number 10 is a Hall of Famer. That's Joe Morgan. Joe Morgan came to the A's in 1984. He was 40 years old. He signs as a free agent uh, to play second base. And, yeah, it was a homecoming. But it was legitimate because in 1983 with the Phillies, he played in the World Series. Uh, he didn't have a great year. For the Phillies, but over the last couple of weeks of that season, he had 417. He had two homers in the World Series versus Baltimore. So for, even for a 40-year-old guy, uh, they still saw a lot that he could do. And he was also coming on a team with a young Ricky Henderson. And to have Joe Morgan and Davey Lopes, who was also on that team, kind of school Ricky and more and how to steal bases and how to be a complete ball player, they saw this as a plus-plus. And for 1984 and Joe Morgan, he batted third most of the season, played second base most of the season. Numbers weren't fantastic. He had 244. He had six homers. Uh, he did have 21 doubles and even stole eight bases. Uh, he set the record for most home runs by a second baseman that season, uh, passing Rogers Hornsby. And Morgan's since been passed by Jeff Kent, Robinson Cano, and Ryan Sandberg. But, again, he did what they needed him to do. And in his final major league at bat on the last day of the season, 1984, Joe Morgan went out with a double. Um, it was just, it was a good season. I don't know if they could have expected any more from Joe Morgan at that point, but he did what they needed him to do as far as helping the young players on the A's. So Joe Morgan checks in at number 10. You know, whenever I see Joe and I actually saw him on the sidelines this season at a Raider game, you just forget Two-time MVP, great player, speed, pop. He wasn't a very big guy at all. 
No, no, little Joe. And for, for a good reason, little Joe, he wasn't a big guy. Um, but just, he was, he was a gamer. He knew how to play the game. Right. You know, I know a lot of people got frustrated with him as a broadcaster uh, because he did not change with the times, right? Here's a guy who, who railed all over uh, the book Moneyball. He never read the book. I, I still, to this day, I, I, he, I'm pretty sure Joe Morgan thinks Billy Bean wrote the book. Um, and that, that kind of, I think, soured a lot of fans on him uh, for good reason. I think you need to grow with the times. But as a baseball player, Joe Morgan was a Hall of Fame second baseman, one of the greatest second basemen of all time. Didn't Billy write the book and star in the movie? <laughs> he did, yeah. He, he starred, he wrote it, he directed it. I think he also, uh, he was out there distributing it. He did a lot for that. <laughs> all right, number nine. Number nine is Scott Sanderson in 1990. Now, Scott Sanderson was signed as a free agent to replace Storm Davis, right? And at the time, it really did feel like you could slot any pitcher into that number four spot in the rotation after Stu, Welch, and Moore, and you were going to get a great season out of them. Well, as we talked about with Blunders, they thought they could do that with Eric Shaw in 1991, and it didn't quite work out that way. Scott Sanderson, 34 starts, over 200 innings pitched, 17-11, and 11, an ERA under four, uh, you know what? He did exactly what the A's needed him to do. And you talk about a, a fourth start in a rotation with over 200 innings. Scott Sanderson wasn't a, a five-and-fly guy, uh, and he had a pretty good track record coming into that year. Uh, and coming down the stretch, there was a question of who was going to be the third starter for the A's. Was it going to be Mike Moore or was it going to be Scott Sanderson? Because Mike Moore in, in the end of September was, was bad. He was one and three with a 9.68 ERA. And that was a big question mark. Now, the A's did go with Mike Moore, and he pitched great in Game 3 versus the Red Sox. did not pitch great in Game 3 of the World Series. Um, and Sanderson wanted to stay with the A's. But the A's, again, thinking they could just plug anybody in, Sanderson was due for a big raise. The A's didn't want to pay it, and they ended up selling his rights to the Yankees, and he made the all-star team with the Yankees in 1991. But 1990, Scott Sanderson, again, a, a, an A starting pitcher, I think gets lost in those championship years. He did exactly what it you needed to do, and he did it better than a lot of people think. All righty, number eight. Number eight, I think this is another player who kind of gets lost in, in recent A's history because he played on a, on a strange A's team, and that's Adam Kennedy in 2009. Now, I say it was a strange A's team because you look at this, the 2009 team is the, we're going to get Matt Holliday and Jason Giambi's coming back, and we're going to find Nomar Garcia-Para and Orlando Cabrera. So what kind of direction was that team going in? It was hard to tell because you also had two rookie starters and Trevor Cahill and Brett Anderson. It was such a, a strange season, right, as far as the roster was made up. And Adam Kennedy wasn't part of the A's at, at the beginning of the year. There was a guy who was a former ALCS MVP with the Angels, had three homers in a postseason game, but he was languishing in the Tampa Bay minor league system when Mark Ellis got hurt in the early part of May. The A's acquired Adam Kennedy, put him right into the starting lineup, playing second base. Eventually, he plays a lot of third base in place of Chavez, but overall, he hits 289, 11 bombs, 29 doubles, steals 20 bases, plays all over the field, and is just a good, gritty ball player that really helped out, an, a, like I said, a strange A's team. Uh, you know, eventually, that team got rid of Matt Holliday and got rid of Jason Giambi and got rid of Orlando Cabrera. 
But Adam Kennedy stuck it out and was a very, very productive player for the A's. The end of that year, he ends up signing with the Nationals as a free agent. But you go back, you look at 2009, you look at Adam Kennedy, that was one of his two or three best career seasons. This, this list is awesome. All right, so we got Morgan. We, uh, we got Sanderson. Got Sanderson. And then Kennedy. All right, number seven. Number seven, we're going to the 80s now. This is 1984, and this is a starting pitcher named Ray Burris. Now, Ray Burris was – came up with the Cubs and was very good for the Cubs in the mid-70s, you know, with uh, 15 wins, 15 wins, 14 wins. He was a good, good starting pitcher. The A's acquired him from the Montreal Expos uh, for uh, basically a fifth outfielder type named Rusty McNeely. Uh, They thought bringing in a veteran starting pitcher was going to help this this A's team. Any four A's teams, this is not a very good team. But Ray Burris was really good. Uh, 28 starts. 34 games, he went 13-10, and 10, an ERA of 3.15, and again, over 200 innings. And you bring in a veteran starter. And I always remember just as a fan, when Ray Burris got the start, you always felt like this A's team was, had a really good chance to win. You didn't feel that way with Chris Cotteroli. You didn't feel that way with Bill Kruger. But you felt that way with Ray Burris. And, and he did it. He had a 3.15 ERA in the mid-'80s, Portland the Coliseum, really, really effective player. And eventually, they thought about keeping him for the 1985 season, but they're going to trade him for somebody else who's coming up on the list. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Number six. Now, in December of 84, they trade Ray Burris to the Brewers for number six on our list, future Hall of Famer Don Sutton. Oh, wow. I think not many people realize that Don Sutton uh, pitch for the Oakland Athletics. And this is 1985. Don Sutton's 40 years old. He's got 280 career wins. But he's coming off a season in Milwaukee where he went 14-12, and 12, over 200 innings, 3.77 ERA. So he's still getting it done. And with the A's in 1985 and 29 starts, he goes 13-8, and 8, 3.89 ERA, just under 200 innings, and that was just with the A's because the A's end up trading him in September, even after the postseason, you know, roster deadline to the Angels. Uh, what's interesting about that A's rotation in 1985? In August of that year, the A's rotation had 40-year-old Don Sutton, 42-year-old Tommy John, and 20-year-old Jose Rio. Two 40-year-olds and a 20-year-old in the A's rotation in 1985. Don Sutton was good. They traded him to the Angels. The Angels at the time were just a game behind the Royals, and they just wanted one more veteran starting pitcher. Um, Unfortunately, in Don Sutton's five starts, the Angels went two and three, and they ended up finishing a game behind the Royals. The Royals won the World Series. Don Sutton pitches three more years, finishes with 324 wins. He was elected to the Hall of Fame in 1998. But he had one year at the A's, and he was really, really good. And that Jose Rio slider comes back to haunt you in 1990. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we saw when they when they acquired you know 19 year old Jose Rio, they knew that it's a world of talent. Uh, but they ended up using you know Jose Rio along with Tim Burgess to get Dave Parker. So really, a trade that worked out for both teams overall hurt the A's just because of 1990. The Cobra. All right, number five. Number five, 
solid player. Had a long career with the Blue Jays, comes to the A's in 2007, and that's Shannon Stewart. The A's needed a left fielder. Jay Payton had left. He was part of the AL uh, West champion A's in 06. Uh, the A's needed a left fielder, and they got Shannon Stewart, who put up a 290 average, 12 homers, 22 doubles, scored 79 runs, 11 stolen bases, played 146 games. Uh, just an everyday left fielder who was, again, really, really good in his one year with the green and gold. And I think, I think for me, his most memorable moment was breaking up Kurt Schilling's no-hitter with two outs in the ninth inning. It was a day game in Oakland. Schilling was dealing. A's hadn't had a hit. But it's, it's Kurt Schilling, and nobody liked Kurt Schilling. And when, when, when Shane Stork got his base hit, I mean, just besides – the fans going crazy. If you look down in the A's dugout and the A's bullpen, the players on the team were going crazy just to deny Kurt Schilling a no hitter. So Shannon Stewart, he gets number five. Great year and a great moment. Yeah, he was he was a good player. He was a really good player. You know, long time with the Blue Jays, and he actually went back to the Blue Jays after the A's, and just always an effective baseball player. Number four. All right, now we're getting to it. Number four is a guy we've talked about a bunch on this team. He made our top ten uh, left fielders list, and that's Josh Willingham. Mm -hmm. You know, his 2011 year with the A's, uh, a guy they acquired from the Nationals in a trade for Corey Brown and Henry Rodriguez, uh, they needed a left fielder to the A's. In 2010, the A's used 12 different starting left fielders, guys like Rajay Davis and Gabe Gross and Connor Jackson. Uh, They needed stability in left field. And Josh Willingham gave it to him in 2011. They also gave him 29 homers, 98 runs batted in, an OPS over 810, and a lot of talk in the media that he wanted to stay in Oakland. And, Townie, you and I both know Josh Willingham never planned on staying in Oakland. No, and I remember the interview that I did with him for the pregame show, and you could tell by the body language, you could tell the whole thing when he was telling me that, yeah, I'd be open to resign. It's like, no, you're not. No, I mean, he, he <laughs> wanted he wanted to go back east. He wasn't a West Coast guy, um, yeah, but he did. He, he was a force. That one year, he was legit, and he stayed healthy for the most part. He stayed healthy, and he turned it into a three-year, $21 million contract with the twins. Uh, good for him. And he was, he was, again, good for the A's and gave him that left field stability. Number three. Number three, another guy who made our top 10 center fielders list, who I feel is, is much maligned in, in A's history. And that's Johnny Damon in 2001. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think it, it's tough because people remember that Johnny Damon got off to such a slow start with the A's. This is, this is a guy who in 2000, he had 327 with the Royals, over 200 hits, 46 steals, 16 homers. Uh, and the A's made a big trade to get him, right? The A's got Johnny Damon, Mark Ellis, and Corey Lytle. They gave up Ben Greed. They gave up Angel Barroa and A.J. Hinch um, for Johnny Damon, who was going into his last year before free agency. Uh, but Johnny started as a left fielder, and this was always a mistake I, I think the A's made, was keeping Terrence Long in center at the beginning of the year and putting Johnny Damon in left. Johnny Damon only had 228 over the A's first 67 games going into mid-June. Uh, he looked terrible. He looked lost out there. And the A's were not a good team to start 2001, right? They started 2-10, 8-18. And, and at this point, they're three games under. But they moved Johnny Damon to center field, and they take off. 
They go 62 and 24 the rest of the way. Johnny Damon hits over 280. For the year, he scores over 100 runs. In the playoffs versus the Yankees, he hits 409. He's one of the best defensive center fielders he has seen at that point. Even Eric Chavez at the time calling him the best center fielder he's ever seen. Um, he, after he got moved to center field, had a tremendous year. And that 2001 A's team, in my opinion, especially in the second half, was the best of his early 2000s team. Right? Cause you had Johnny Damon and Jason Giambi. You had Tejada and Chavez who came into their own. They acquired Jermaine Dye to play right field. And you still have Mulder, Hudson, Zito. I, I just thought that point was so complete. And Johnny Damon, as a leadoff hitter and setting the table, uh, he was so such a weapon. Uh, and even after the year, you know, Jason Yami leaves, signs with the Yankees. There were some scouts who thought losing Johnny Damon, who had signed with the Red Sox, was a, was almost a bigger loss as Jason Giambi. And I remember when we had Johnny Damon on the show last season, he talked about his his time in Oakland taught him a lot about winning and winning baseball and being a good teammate and everything. That was a big year for his career as he would go on, obviously, with everything he did with Boston and New York. But, you know, that one year meant a lot to him here in Oakland, kind of like how Frank Thomas talks about his the, – the, I know he can't be on the list, but his real one year here uh, may be his favorite of his career. All right, number two. Number two is Todd Stottlemyre in 1995. And I, I think people got to go back and look at the year that he had in 95. He was a guy who had been with the Blue Jays, but now he's a, he's a free agent. And this is, the, this is coming off the strike year. So there's a bunch of free agents who didn't have any, any spring training to go to, right, when the, when the big league camps opened up again. So he's at Camp Homestead in Florida where all these free agents are working out. And the A's go and they pluck him out of that free agent camp for only $1.8 million on a one-year deal. Um, and all he does is make 31 starts, and, and again, a shortened season, only 144 games. But 31 starts, 14-7, and seven, over 200 innings pitched, and 205 strikeouts. No A's pitcher has had more strikeouts since Todd Sotomayor in 1995. He's uh, just dominant at times. Uh, he's the last A's pitcher, the pitch, last A's starting pitcher, to pitch into the 10th inning, do 10 innings against the Royals in 1995. Um, just a dominant force on the mound. And you go back and you read the stories about Todd Stoudemire. He had an anger problem um, when he was with the Blue Jays. And coming to the A's and working with Tony La Russa and Dave Duncan really taught him how to focus his energy and become a, a dominant pitcher. And the end of that year, the A's offered Stoudemire arbitration. They wanted to bring him back. But they also knew they were going in a different direction with the team. This is a team that had now been, been sold uh, Tony La Russa and Dave Duncan had moved on to St. Louis, and they thought it was best if Todd Sotomayor went to St. Louis as well to, to keep that relationship with La Russa and Dunk. And Sotomayor went on to have a, a really, really good career with the Cardinals and later the Diamondbacks. But that year in Oakland, when you go back and look, he was he was as dominant a starting pitcher as we've seen with the A's in the last 25 years. Yeah, you talk about uh, a little bit of a temper uh, my former colleague, now a professor down in Nebraska, uh, just talked to him recently, the great John Schrader. Uh, yeah. We always we had this uh, clip of he had talked to the media. John had been talking to somebody else. And John, you know, sometimes, you're, hey, sorry, I wasn't here. Uh, follow up. And he just explodes. <laughs> it I was remember. one of our favorite <laughs> post-game things, Schrader. And it was just like, this guy lost it. 
Yeah, I remember that. I remember that tape. John played it for me once. Yeah, he he, you know, he had a problem with a with a bar fight when he was still with the Blue Jays. And I was reading an interesting story about how he learned how to focus everything with Harvey Dorfman, the great psychologist, uh, and just kind of changed his way of thinking. And he's actually had a really good post baseball life, uh, starting businesses and making a lot of money in a lot of different ways. And a really interesting story, and and a really good ace pitcher for his one year in the Green and Gold. Okay, we're down to the top spot, number one. My number one A's one-season wonder is Billy Koch in 2002. And you go back, and, you know, I'm sure a lot of people yesterday watched Game 20. Uh, MLB Cut 4 ran that yesterday on Twitter. Uh, and to see Billy Koch again, of course, they get a blown save. But what he meant for that team in 2002, he threw in 84 games. He's in over half the games he pitches. Record of 11 and 4. He has 44 saves. Uh, at one point, he had saves in five straight games, pitching in four straight days. Uh, he wins the Rollins Relief Man Award, the Sporting News Fireman of the Year. Uh, he was a beast at the end of these baseball games. Uh, and we talk about, you know, guys like Jim Johnson who couldn't handle that, that, that ninth inning when he got to the A's. Billy Koch was the exact opposite. He was unbelievable in the ninth inning. But I think the A's knew with the workload that Billy Koch had in 2002 that he was never going to be as good as he was that year. So they cut, they cut their losses early, right, and traded him to the White Sox to get Keith Folk, who had a tremendous 2003 and could have made this list, but he also came back to the A's in 2008, so he disqualified. But Billy Koch, as good a year as a closer, uh, and the A's have had some great closers. They needed someone to replace Jason Isringhausen. Bringing in Billy Koch did the job, and and he was a big reason the A's won the West and also won 20 straight games. Yeah, I mean, you think about the amount of wins and the saves. Uh, that is truly incredible to factor in that many games. Wow. Okay, run them over one more time, your top ten. Our top ten, one-season wonders in Oakland history. Number ten, Jill Morgan in 1984. Number nine, Scott Sanderson in 1990. Number eight, Adam Kennedy in 2009. Number seven, Ray Burris in 1984. Number six, Don Sutton in 1985. Number five, Shannon Stewart in 2007. Number four, Josh Willingham in 2011. Number three, Johnny Damon in 2001. Number two, Todd Stottlemyre in 1995. And number one, Billy Cott. 2002. Great stuff, buddy. We appreciate it, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, Tony. Take care. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.